Hello, and welcome to the fourth U Dimension podcast. This is our podcast video, part of our Getting the Message series. My name is Skylar Vogel. I'm the senior minister at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. I am not your regular podcast host, um, but today I have the pleasure of interviewing her, Ember Kelly, our wonderful director of religious education. Um, the reason why we have switched roles today is that Ember has led us in the service this week. A, a beautiful multi-generational service that involved our youngest members, our children, our teenagers, parents, the RE team that brings us so much wonderful educational programming throughout the year. So Ember, thank you for being here and, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's weird to be on the reverse side of this. It, uh, it's easier to be on the reverse side. I can I can verify that. You feel like you just let things come to you rather than uh, have to be have to be thinking about what to say next. One of the things that when we were talking before this, and something that I know well is you mentioned that you had some dreams coming into this service, and I think it'd be interesting for the folks at home to to hear about what it's like to lead a service at Fourth U. This is the first service you've led uh, for us, um, you know, by yourself with this team, of course. Um, what was that like? What, what were you feeling last night and what kind of dreams did you have? I mean, it fits the theme of dreaming with the new. It's a good first question. So uh, as, as I mentioned, in fact, in the message, uh, my background is going through seminary. I've done internships. I've led services. I've delivered sermons. I've, I've put together whole services before. But this one definitely felt, you know, like next level, like this is my first grand premiere of what my services look like to the fourth universalist community. And I was, oh man, was I nervous. Uh, I'm feeling very relieved to be on the other side of it now. Uh, but last night, as I, I, I knew that I had everything done, I had reviewed my video that was prepared. Colin had reviewed my video that was prepared. You and Colin had looked over my message. I knew that the script was together. Everybody knew what they were doing. Uh, but still, as I went to bed, I definitely uh, was was uh, feeling a little bit nervous. and. I fell asleep pretty quickly, but I woke up about three different times from three different dreams about something going wrong with the service. One, my ring light wasn't working correctly. It kept turning off and I kept having to get up and turn it on. Uh, and you know, I can't have bad lighting for the service. Another one, uh, a bunch of the people that were supposed to speak didn't show up when they were supposed to. And then in the last one, I think it was just that nobody showed up to the service and it was only the, only the leaders there watching their own stuff. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was definitely apparently a little bit of, a little bit of stress to be back in the, uh, the driver's seat of leading the service. Those experiences are, I, are not unnormal. I certainly have had them as well, various dreams about forgetting that I was writing a sermon and being called up to give it without having anything to say, uh, not having the proper robe and stuff and not being able to find it and showing up in shorts or something absurd like that. Um, common preacher dreams, and I'm sure that for many of us in various roles and careers, there's an equivalent version of, of uh, the day before whatever we're doing anxiety dream. So, so multi-generational services like the one you led on Sunday are different and they're unique and our congregation. And in some ways, they're more complicated because you, you've had to bring in all these different voices. It's, it's different than the normal worship team, where you have people who do it every week, you have kids and teens and teachers and parents and everybody else. Um, and multi-gen services are also complicated because, because sometimes they get typecast as services that aren't for older adults, we say they're multi-generational, but sometimes people perceive them as kids 
services. Um, tell me a little bit about your theory of multi-generational services and, uh, and why you think they're important for, for religious communities and for the entire age spectrum to, to appreciate. Right. No, definitely. It, there's, there's so many moving parts compared to like a normal Sunday service because, you know, following up with about 10 different people uh, to make sure that everybody is where they're supposed to be and knows what they're supposed to do. Uh, it, it definitely was an extra level of stress trying to keep track of so many people and making sure that everybody uh, knew what they were supposed to do. But I think that these services are so important. And like, you know, lots of people do like a, a play or a performance. And that's always fun, too. I know I did the um, the Christmas story play growing up a million times. Uh, and I always did not enjoy beginning to be part of it because uh, I didn't like having to be up in front of everybody. Uh, and look at where that got me. <laughs> so I think that I want to say that I even mentioned it in my interview process that I think that having well done multi-generational services that really involve the kids and really let them be seen as vital members of the communities help helps just make a more full healthy community when the youth aren't seen as like this other like okay well we're sending our kids off to class uh, because you know we don't want them bothering us while we're in church sort of thing but instead seeing them as valuable members of the community that provide insight that we can learn so much from and i mean as i put together the service and as i uh, helped with the various parts and got to put together the recording it was just amazing to see uh, the wisdom and like the, the beautiful songs and all of it that these kids were bringing together uh, because there's so much wisdom that they have for us as a wider congregation. And I think it's just so uh, important not to think of them as the, like that's their thing, the RE and sun, that's their Sunday, but rather that the kids are always an important part of our community. I think that's really, really insightful and, and, and super important for, for all of us uh, to remember because it's so easy to think about the membership of the congregation and, or the congregation as a whole is, is really the adults, right? Particularly for us adults who think about what a congregation is, to think about these, these tiers that really, really it's a bunch of adults who then bring their kids. But remembering that, that part of our faith tradition is that, you know, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, our first principle also applies to ages, right? So our kids are equal individuals in our community, uh, that their experience, a six-year-old's experience uh, at fourth U is equal to an experience of somebody who is 35 or 60 years old and that no one is more or less part of the fourth universalist community and no one's experience matters or opinion matters or wisdom matters more or less. Um, and I think it's really, um, it's so important to remember that and to, to not have our kids simply be entertainment, right? Or performative, right. which I think you have done a great job of doing, right? They weren't just there singing some cute carol and everyone says awe and you know how adorable but you asked them to uh to share things that were meaningful to them and they shared music and they shared readings and their own little reflections and um and that honors them as people who have gifts to offer to to all ages right when i think it's it's vital for like lifetime faith development like if you if as a kid in a, in a religious community, you're just treated like, oh, you know, you're go over there, do your thing, then you're not going to be interested in following uh, along with that as you get older. Even as a kid who felt this pull towards doing ministry, I, I still like it was so hard to like feel taken seriously as a, as a youth. Uh, and I think it's just really important to do that recognizing uh, of their voices so that they, they feel interested in continuing their, their journey 
um, as people that engage in religious community, uh, that they continue that as they grow up. So you've mentioned in your in your reflection that uh, you've been with Fourth Universalist for almost six months. I'm curious because I have you here in the podcast. What has it been like to have started in this role, this ministerial role, with kids and families and teachers and parents, and not have met hardly any of them in person? Uh, it must have been incredibly hard, and probably continues to be ch a challenge. Tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like for you. Right. I, I want to say that I said something at dinner the other day that I was like, oh, you know, six months in and I've been to the building twice. Um, and but, you know, the second time I did get to enjoy some delicious Vietnamese food with you, which was a, a nice perk of making the visit up there. But, you know, it, it's just so strange, like to think that I'm working at this place that I've that I've only been to twice that uh, pretty much you and Sheila and Abby one time, like that, that's about it that I've met in terms of other staff in person. Uh, I have Colin as my assistant director and we've only ever video chatted and emailed and texted like that, that's it. Um, I think that, you know, one of the, one of the benefits for me, uh, I, you know, I was this kid that grew up with the internet and I was really engaged in it. Like I was, I was building websites in like fifth grade and uh, you know, getting connected with people, we like started started a Dragon Ball Z uh, RPG that we were playing on forums, and you know, like that, it, it seemed silly at the time, but it turns out that like building community online turned into a valuable skill once we got into 2020. Uh, so, you know, I very much, uh, for large parts of my life, I feel like people kind of uh, gave me a hard time about like, why do you have so many online friends that you've that you've never really met, and. I always was like, these are very genuine friendships. Like, yeah, they're just like maybe some person I knew from my blog and, but, you know, we've been Facebook friends for 15 years and we catch up with each other and hear about things going on in their lives. And so that, that really gave me this skill set for moving into this position in this challenging time. But I mean, it is, it's just so weird to like only have uh, email and Zoom Though, funny enough, uh, in the last few weeks, I've had a few phone calls and I've actually noticed that uh, as somebody who's generally a millennial who's always averse to phone calls, I'm actually like enjoying phone calls because it means like I don't have a screen I have to look at. I can just like talk and I can, the other night I was like, I was talking to Sean about the music for the service and I was looking out the window at the moon while I was talking with him and it was, it was nice to be on the phone for the first time. But I'm 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 definitely ready for for getting back uh, in person and getting to finally meet everyone. But it'll feel like starting a new job when I come back in person. I'm sure that's absolutely true, and it'll be strange even for those of us who have been at Fourth U in person before. Uh, and I, I I think it's almost easy to forget what it meant to even the small things. I'm sure for many of our members and friends who are listening. The, the, the practice of getting up in the morning and hopping on the train or walking to the church to be greeted on Sunday and sitting in the pews and getting or the chairs and getting your coffee hour and all those things that they seem really far away uh, in in his, in our in my memory at least and it'll be an adjustment back um, and and to know that there will be different characters right because we went when we started this pandemic adventure there was another director of religious education uh, and, and he was here and now you're here and a lot of members have left and moved and it's going to be a, a really different kind of experience. So we're all going to be in some ways it's, it's, it'll be, it'll be a change for so many of us that, um, 
that you may have a whole class of characters who I know have been showing up on Zoom that none of us know uh, in person. So um, we'll all be we'll all be in some degree of that's a beginner's mind, as the Buddhist tradition calls it. Right. Well, and depending on mask regulations, uh, when when that time comes, we might still not even fully see their faces, even as we finally get to meet them. So we, we have to match them from their eyes, even though we've only ever met them online. Yeah, no, it's real. It's real. So I have one final question for you, um, which is, uh, I'm sure that a lot of our families who are listening um, are c coming up with their their holiday plans. Uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit from you, but you know, you have you have two boys, uh, you know, you have a family there. I see your Christmas tree in the background. What are your pandemic Christmas plans? Yeah, so I mean, this is where spending the last, uh, well, the two Christmases ago was was coming back from uh, China, but we had celebrated it largely there before we left. And then last year was in Vietnam. And so having that really helped like ground us to realizing like what was important for us in terms of holiday celebrations. Uh, and food is definitely one of those things that's important to us. Uh, we managed while we were abroad to still put together some, we made some stuffing and we had mashed potatoes and we bought something that was labeled turkey that was definitely not turkey. Um, so this year, you know, we're excited that like we're gonna, the boys have requested uh, a ham uh, instead of a turkey this time. And so we're gonna get like a nice big uh, ham and make lots of different dishes. We've been on a challenge to get the, the kids eating a little bit more. And so the holidays provide some more interesting times to do that. Uh, and so, we have, we have presents, uh, or as uh, my oldest Jude has taken to referring to them as trash bags. Um, we, he, we need to wrap the trash bags or, oh, we got some more trash bags in the mail today. Um, so we're, you know, we're really excited. Like, I feel like a lot of family and friends have really gone up, gone out of their way to make us feel like that they care about us, that they're exci excited that we're back uh, after we've been gone for so long, like that they, they all really wanted to like get the boys something fun and um, I think that I'm just really looking forward to, to Christmas. I'm excited for like the, the winter solstice service this week and the Christmas Eve service this week. And those will be really nice. But gosh, on, on Friday when I can just like let the boys make wake me up or probably I'll wake up first because I'm usually the earliest riser of the family. But I'm, I'm excited for just a day of relaxation and having fun. The time between Christmas and New Year's is such a wonderful time of rest and, and quiet. And I imagine that'll only be more so this year. So Ember, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for leading us in a wonderful multi-generational service this week. Uh, we look forward to seeing you on Christmas Eve at five o'clock. I know you have going to share a reading and I know that you have done a fantastic job in bringing some of our young people along to share readings as well. And uh, we're really grateful to all our listeners each and every week. Join us for our Getting the Message series where we dive more deeply into these, into our services. So thank you. Have a wonderful holiday and see you in the new year.